Hello, everyone, and welcome to Journey to Success Radio Network. My name is Tom Tutal Cunningham. I'm a Napoleon Hill Foundation certified instructor and resiliency expert, helping people to think, speak, and act positively through the challenges of life. You can find out more about me in this interview at my website, which is Tom, the number two, and Tall, T-A-L-L dot com. Uh, I have an exciting guest today because I am a longtime fan of the company. Uh, our guest today is David Matson. David is uh, a best-selling author, sales and management thought leader, keynote speaker, and leader for sales training seminars around the world. He's the CEO and president of Sandler Training, uh, which is, uh, as I said, a company I'm fond of. I like their approach, I like their philosophies, and uh, have read a number of their books. Uh, Dave oversees the corporate direction and strategy for the company's global operations, including sales, marketing, consulting, alliances, and support. And his key areas of focus are sales leadership, strategy, and client satisfaction. Welcome to the show today, Dave. Tom, it's an honor and a privilege to be with you. Thank you for inviting us. Uh, let's start off because not everyone is as long-term a fan of Sandler as I am and the Sandler books and franchises. So uh, tell people a little bit about Sandler because they've been around a long time, uh, but not as many uh, well, I know them, but not as many people know them as they should. Yeah, I think in the uh, in in the self help world, a lot of companies in that space have uh, started off with books and then created a business model. David Sandler, you know, we've been around for forty seven years uh, with two hundred and sixty five training centers around the world, Tom. And Whoa. what we do, we have two distinct marketplaces. But in essence, we help salespeople identify more opportunities for us to figure out how do I find prospects, and with the changing technology, that's always getting harder and harder. So how do I find people to have that conversation with? How do I then get them to qualify? How do I qualify or disqualify? Because I think in the sales world, our most precious commodity, of course, is time. So how do I know whether this particular prospect is worth spending the time on? Are, are their issues, their pains, something that we could solve? And do it in a very conversational manner. And then how do I you know, accelerate deal flow and to make sure that they don't get stalled along the way? And I'm, and I'm dealing with a team sell type situation potentially and juggling all those things that I have to do internally when I'm bringing in partners, alliances, or even people internally. And I'm selling to a team occasionally where I've got different stakeholders, could be around the world, and they have different perspectives, different needs. And, you know, how do I negotiate? And what are my presentation skills? So I'm, I'm dealing with salespeople in the start of trying to find an opportunity all the way to growing existing relationships. And then we have sales management is another great swing zone for Sandler. And we're helping sales managers, which I think have the most important job in any company because they're the ones who are nurturing their teams to hit the revenue goals, right? So how do you go find the right type of person that's going to fit your team from a skill standpoint and then, of course, culturally 
how do I onboard them properly? I mean, I think most sales managers spend time finding somebody, but not necessarily onboarding them because now they're moving on to their next project. And sales managers are always juggling 15, 20 different things, and it's a hard job. And I think even though I said they're the most important part of any company, I think they're also the least trained group of people. You know, mm-hmm. I think they're... An owner, an entrepreneur, a senior manager looks around and says, hey, we've got a gap in sales management. This particular person left. So, Tom, where are we going to find that person? They look out and, and they see a, a top producer and they say to them, hey, we'd like you to be the manager and you know, replicate your success for the team. And they, we think they could do that. But that's a, that's a skill and it's something that's not as easily done as it is said. So, and then managers, we've got to develop people. I mean, I think the ultimate goal for a sales manager is to make my team self-sufficient. So mm-hmm. not creating an atmosphere of learned helplessness where they have to come to me for every single answer. So how do I help them coach? I mean, how do I help them accelerate deal flow? How do I help them um, figure out what my next move is in the sales process? And then, of course, I'm nurturing that talent along the way. And then even owners. You know, so we're helping them create process within their companies. Most of them are very passionate. And I, I can't tell you how many times I've heard from a, an entrepreneur, boy, I tell you what, if I had 50 me's, Tom, I, I'd be, a, you know, a Brazilianaire. Mm-hmm. How do I do that? You know, I need that confidence and conviction. How do I instill that into my people? I mean, they're not following process. How do I get that done? So what we do is if we're thinking about salespeople and sales leaders and leaders in general, we provide at a local level in our training centers the opportunity for them to come with a group of like people. So salespeople could be sitting in one of our training centers going through, let's say, a sales course with people from different industries. And now that sounds initially like, well, that that doesn't really make sense. But it really does because oftentimes when we're talking about a deal that I'm involved with, I defend But when I hear that the person next to me who may be insurance or maybe an accountant over here, they're running through the similar issues, I actually learn an awful lot. And then I realize that we're all having similar issues and similar problems. And it's easy for me then to say, okay, I play Monday Monday morning quarterback based on their situations, but I get to learn in a very safe environment because I'm not sitting next to my boss. I'm not sitting next to people that I'm defending a deal with all the time. I get to have a real nice, low-key learning experience. And so we have what we call President's Club, and so people continually come back. And the reason they come back is because we believe that the one-day boot camps, you know, and we provide them for corporate clients, but that's a fire hose. And you really can't change your behavior, your mindset. You can learn some techniques, but sustainable growth comes through reinforcement. And so we've moved way back in the 80s from purely the seminar business to the growth business. And so we're really walking people through their professional career. And it could be, you know, from sales to sales management to leadership or, hey, I just want to be better in sales. And we have ongoing reinforcement training programs for both owners and and sales managers and leaders. So that's really 
what we're known for in the marketplace. And of course, we have another business model, which is where we go to the Fortune 1000 and provide the Sandler methodology to them in a private setting, or if they want us to combine it with a current process that they're using, but it's not effective, we go in and help them make whatever they're doing more effective and more efficient. Wow, neat. And three points there. My father was in sales his entire career, selling explosives, and he used to tell me often that sales is the only source of revenue. Everyone else is an expense. And so, yeah, I love the sales industry. Onboarding, you mentioned that. and I've been in a number of organizations, and it makes a ginormous impression how you onboard someone. I've been to ones where you come in, your desk is set up, your email is set up, your computer is nice, your CRM has got everything set up, you're ready to go. And I've been at others where you walk in on your first day and they're like, oh, oh, yeah, you're starting today, eh? And it's like, wow, it makes a ginormous impression. And then the other thing, the third one is that, yeah, like I worked for a management consultant. We were booking appointments with presidents, and I was really good. And so they made me the manager, sales manager. And I learned that uh, I don't particularly like managing people. I found it stressful and not exactly always fun, whereas in sales I could control my own activities, my own results, and I was good at what I did, and so I see where, like you said, a lot of people that get promoted, hey, you're the great salesperson here, you've been here a while, let's make you the sales manager. So A, they may not like it, and B, they may not be qualified for it just because they're a good salesperson. So yeah, I love those. Uh, some of those things you were talking about strikes home. Well, it's really hard if you think about even onboarding for a second. How I mean, the, first of all, the employee wants to do well, right? And the employer wants them to do well. And most of the onboard is focused in on, and let's talk about sales for a second. They focus in on, you know, here's our products and services, here's our HR policy and all those things. But very few companies actually track the time to, that you hire to the time of profitability, and that's a really important ratio. And, and companies will typically hire us to say, we need to figure out how, why are we losing people? Or yeah, we've got to make sure that our people are productive. Because if you think about a one-year sales cycle, a company will keep a, a new sales rep around for the first year just to see, hey, are they productive? And they look back and say, well, yeah, they were. Or no, they weren't. And if they weren't, why is that? Now, well, they're almost there. You know, Tom, we've got to do a little better. And so then now I'm there for another year, and maybe it wasn't a fit. So what we end up doing in the onboarding, just a quick tip, is that we say, what are all the things that they need to be great at? So let's say, from the sales perspective, let's say it is getting an appointment. Let's say it is getting your 30-second commercial down or your pain statements or whatever it is. There's probably 60 to 70 things that a company really should say that a sales rep should be great at to be a top producer in our company. And then put them in the order of priority. So hypothetically, let's say an elevator pitch was important, and you should know our company's elevator pitch in the first month. And so when you showed up, Tom, and they would say, and here's your script, and here's an audio file of somebody doing it so you can see the life, you know, you can hear it, you can feel mm. it, which is great. And we want you to emulate this, Tom, as a new employee. We know that you're an experienced sales rep with a competitor, but this is how we do it at XYZ Company. And now we're giving you a recipe for success. We're saying this is what we want you to emulate. 
And then we go and say to that person, you should know that in the first week. That sales manager should go back and say, Tom, let me hear your elevator pitch because then I get to actually see how you're progressing. And if you say to me, here it is, Dave, and then you do a great job, first of all, you feel more confident, right? And we know that you're going to be a great ambassador of our brand because you're doing that elevator pitch that we know is successful. And we're not asking you to try to figure it out, which is really what happens out there. They say, you have experience. You've been in the marketplace. Go and prosper. What a mistake. That is just ridiculous. And so we give them that foundation. But let's go on the other side. Let's assume for a second that I come and say, well, let me hear your, your, 30, your elevator pitch. And you say, well, I didn't get to it, oh, or this. Or you do it two or three times, and it's horrific. And if it's true when you're talking about our, our company history and our competitive edge and all the other things that I want you to learn, and it looks like you're just not getting it, maybe, maybe, I don't have to wait two years, maybe it's just a not a good fit, or I've got to figure out another way to coach you. So I think you're building on this onboarding stuff. If companies just really spend time doing it, it's one of the most – Game, it's a game changer for most organizations that are bringing on people because you can get a person in the first year acting and sounding like somebody that's been there for 25 years. And how cool is that? Yeah, exactly. And it, it creates an impression how you're greeted at a company. Uh, you know, if you're introduced to people excitedly, everything is set up for you, they've been expecting you, someone spends a day or two with you, you feel a lot better than if someone points at your desk and says, read through all these and we'll get your email and CRM set up sometime in the next week or so. Uh, okay, now I feel a lot different than the company that like treating me like I'm a VIP and waiting for me and got everything ready for me. So very cool. Now, uh, I am 51. I've been in sales since in my 20s. I studied accounting and worked at it for a few years but found out it was boring. You're not talking to a lot of exciting people when you're an accountant. And so I've been in sales a long time. And it has changed over the years. One of my claims to fame is I've made over 200,000 cold calls and spoken with over 5,000 presidents, owners, C-level executives. Uh, but I do it differently now because reaching people by the phone is, is extremely difficult unless you have built some kind of previous engagement or warmness of uh, uh, knowing each other. And uh, even myself, like, hard to reach me by the phone unless you have an appointment and so talk about how selling has changed over the years because it certainly has hasn't it yeah it really has and uh, but you know i'll come back to the my premise that i don't think that the the basic foundation has changed but no. if you think about some buckets technology has really changed the sales world in, in a number of different ways i mean right now i could google a, a product um and learn an awful lot about what that is prior to the salesperson coming in. The salesperson's, one of their roles early on was, of course, to qualify, but it was also to educate. And I think now technology has given the ability for buyers to be highly educated on their products or services. And so that's really changed the dynamic. And they also expect you to know an awful lot about their company and do your homework ahead of time where 
if you were to start off a call 15 years ago by saying, hey, tell me a little bit about your company, that was an okay and a, and a nice way to start a call. They kind of expect you now to have done some homework. And I think technology has also changed the way that we interact with our customers and prospects. I know now, as an example, I get an awful lot of texts from prospects and clients and emails and this instantaneous response society when they send an email they really do expect a response quite quickly and <laughs> and that's really different you know it used to be I, I get voicemail or you know I got a, a ticket from the assistant and I'll, I'll reach out to you but now it's hey I have a question and I, and I really would, would like to have that answer now so I think that's changed along with just trying to get our prospects and customers on the phone. I mean, right now it's much harder to talk to a live person as a salesperson when you're trying to engage a prospect. And so social media, the LinkedIn, one of our popular courses is how to leverage LinkedIn as a salesperson. And I'm writing a book right now with LinkedIn. And I have to say, you know, they really, it's, it's one of the more, productive prospecting tools for salespeople and who would have thought about that in years past and I think technology and in the world if we move past technology for a second on what's changed in the sales world I also think that companies are requiring their sales forces to become experts in a lot more of their products and services whereas I used to be an expert in XYZ product the companies now, they're running a metric and they want to make sure that our sales forces are selling X amount of products and services per customer. And they're now they're, they're becoming a jack of all trades. Um, and that's really changed. And or I've got to move into a team sell situation because I'm required to bring in my alliances or internal partners from different divisions within the company. And that has changed because I used to be the sole point of contact for a company. Now I'm bringing in different people. And salespeople, of course, that's a whole different topic on whether they feel comfortable doing that because, you know, Tom, it took me six years to get this relationship and it took an internal person trying to sell a different product about six and a half minutes to blow up my deal. You know, we've all heard that a million times. So I think there's a lot of changes in the team selling dynamic as well. So I think, you know, with technologies and, and multiple products and services and of course just becoming the jack of all trades has really changed it along with let's just do the economy. I think now complacency is really the largest competitor that any one individual salesperson has. It's easier to kind of stay with what I'm doing. So they're slower moving occasionally and I think now an individual buyer wants consensus within their team and they're looking for you know more people weighing in so it's not that decision doesn't solely lie on their head and that has really changed since 2008 because my job I'm really I don't want to do anything that's too aggressive and so we're having more and more people that are involved in the buying process and I would also say that companies that are buying want a single solution more frequently now. So it's very typical where you would get 
buyers from different parts of the organization and or different parts of the world because they're looking to streamline their solutions. They're looking to have maybe five companies provide those services versus the 50 or 60 that they did on a local basis in the old days. So you're getting a lot more sophisticated buying um, because they're required to kind of streamline. Now, those are some of the big picture changes, but the things really haven't changed, meaning that people still buy from people. They're still mm-hmm. going to buy from people who they like. You still have to have a conversational sales model. You, you still shouldn't, you know, just show up and throw up, you know, a 75 pay, you know, PowerPoint presentation thinking that that's going to wow them. And so there are some basic tenets within the sales process that is, have not changed yet. Not saying they won't change, but they haven't changed. And I think that we just have to juggle the things that are always going to be there along with things that maybe we didn't have to do five years ago and we were successful, and, but we do have to do now. And, you know, I'm, we're very heavily embedded into the technology world. And the struggle is for lots of them, we didn't have to do that three years ago. And our top producers are fighting the fact that we have to change our model a little bit because they were successful in doing it differently. But salespeople have to be flexible, and we're going to have to just understand that the landscape changes and we need to change with it, or we're going to be dinosaurs without a land bridge, right? And that's, and that's a problem. Definitely. And, uh, yeah, the social media aspect of it has uh, been a game changer because this could be a generality, but uh, e- older people are not as inclined to be as active or learn about or get involved in it as the younger people are, and yet uh, as a salesperson, you have to be in that space. Uh, you People have to know about you, and in this day and age, not only does the customer learn a lot about the product before he ever meets with the salesperson or the service, he also wants to know about the salesperson and not just his what his professional qualifications are, but uh, you can learn a lot about someone on LinkedIn about the activities they volunteer for, the causes that are dear to their heart, the cool education they've had, and so so much that you can learn before you ever even meet the sales guy, and that forms an impression. And you want it to be a good impression. And so social media is very, very, very important for doing that. And uh, so, yeah, I, uh, I see the challenges and have experienced them myself as, as I've had to learn some of these things myself. Uh, and so uh, why do companies specifically hire Sandler? You went through it a little bit briefly earlier, uh, but specifically uh, because there are uh, on the internet, you can find sales training for sure. You Google sales training, you'll find a lot of it. Uh, why do companies choose Sandler over others, and what specifically do they uh, uh, hire you guys for? Well, I, th- I think certainly um, there, every organization has a, has a different reason, but if I pick some of the bigger buckets, um, one is our footprint. So if you're looking to have a consistent approach within your organization, the 265 training centers, you can't beat that. You can go, whether you're in 
L.A. or Boston or somewhere in Canada or Europe and, real, and know that they're getting exposed to the Sandler Selling System, if I were to use that program, and you don't have to fly people in for you know, a, a two-day event. So I think if you want consistency around the world or around the country, then that's a, a huge plus for going with Sandler. If you want to drive down your training costs because you know, two-thirds of any expense of an organization is getting the people there and entertaining them, where right now we're trying to always figure out how to do more with less, then mm-hmm. the training centers are there. I, I think also that most organizations come to us because they may have the what, they may have a, a methodology that they've kind of created internally, but they're missing the how. They don't know how to go from step one to step two. Maybe, maybe they come up with a methodology that says, you know, stage two is qualification. And then they tell everybody to go out and qualify. But there's no, there's no training, there's no coaching that says, here's how you qualify. Here's what you do. Here are the obstacles. You know, here's how you do it. And so they come to us for the how, and you can't get that on a book. You can't get that on a video. I mean, you can see it, but people still want to interact and say, well, let me hear you do that, or let me put can – I, can I play customer and you, Sandler? Can you play salesperson and show me how that's done? We're still in an experiential learning situation when it comes to sales and sales management. It's not as easy as I can drink the, you know, the magic water and then I'm a professional salesperson. You know coming out of the accounting field, there was a lot of pain in that transition, and you've learned a lot of lessons. So, you know, how do you shrink that? I think also when our trainers, if you look at our trainers compared to others, we don't have trainers who now are training Sandler because they don't have street cred. Sandler's got street cred, which means to me that we have top producers as salespeople, uh, certainly in, in the management field, and now we're training. So if anyone says to us, I'd like to see you do that cold call. I mean, we do live cold calls on speaker phones for organizations that will have 50, 60, 70 people in a room, and they're in shock. They're like, oh, my gosh, uh, that's incredible. So we expect our audience to say, I'd like to see you do that, or I'd like to put you in a role play. And when we jump instantaneously into a role play, Tom, I'll tell you, people in the room say, okay, I get it. And they're ready to learn because think about some of the biggest complaints of internal training departments. Whether it's fair or not, it's they can't do it. If they could have done it, they wouldn't be sitting in the training department, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that's not that's not. I'm not going to listen to that. Right. And I think the the approach that we have. Look, we've got methodology. Whether it's enterprise selling, whether it's the Sandler selling system. So if companies are looking for, they've decided. I've got a bunch of you know, fighter pilots. I've got a bunch of people doing their own thing, and we've been successful, but we can't scale. I, I need common methodology. They'll come to us for common methodology. We'll give it to them. And we've got the tools, you know, pre-call planners, and here are the debrief sheets, and here's this sheet. We've got all that stuff. So they'll come to us for tools. They'll come to us for um, the methodology. And the reason they stay with us, though, is it sticks. You know, we teach something called the success triangle, three points, and one point will have behaviors, the other will have attitudes and techniques. Sandler's known in the marketplace for awesome techniques. Tell me what to say. What's the move? And we're known for that, and we're, we're great at that. But that doesn't really keep. 
somebody at the top of their game. It's the attitudes and behaviors. So we teach them, here's the mindset. Here's how you have to think about that. You know, it is equal business stature, and here's when you're making cold calls and you're being rejected, here's your mindset. Here's how you have to look at that. And here are your behaviors that you need to do every day. Because I think, Tom, if you were to ask a sales force, what are the things that you have to do in your behavioral plan every day to be successful? The majority of people wouldn't even know what a behavioral plan is. And most people would say, well, I've got to make $6 million in quota. But they couldn't tell you what they have to do every single day to be successful. They don't have that muscle memory. And if I use golf as an analogy, you know, what's the difference between the top golfer and the, and the third in the world? Well, you know, it's probably 30 million bucks, but it's, it's not technique. They're all great at that, right? But the behaviors, there are going to be people who have that muscle memory and they practice and practice and practice and that their approaches are the same. And you can go out as, uh, you know, I'm a 93. I know what I shoot. And you can go and hit 200 balls. And some people will hit every bag, you know, every club in their bag for those 200 balls. But if you really look at a pro, they go in and hit the 7-iron and the 5-iron. That's all they're hitting. And so they're getting better at a specific portion of their game. And that's a behavior. And that really does work. And even their mindset, you know, when I go upon a water hole, let's say, a pro looks right behind that. They don't see that. They don't, they don't get freaked out about the water. And I, and I sit there, and I look at it, and I say, I'm going to hit the water. Now I'll tell you what, I'm going to hit that water. And I go, to back to my, I go back to my bag, and I get the, the ball that has somebody else's initial on it or some, you know, some blue ball that I found in the woods. And I, and I throw it up there, and it's because it's my water ball. I don't, mind, I don't mind losing that one. I've already lost the game. And then I say to myself, well, Dave, be positive. So I say to myself, don't hit the water, don't hit the water, don't hit the water. <laughs> but, of course, what happens? I hit the water. So I think it's the same here. We teach people what to say, how to act, and how to think. And that is the magic that makes people come back to us over and over and over again. Because just reading the books on the technique stuff doesn't give us the attitudes and the behavior portion. So it's a well-rounded I think that's really what separates us. Hmm. Those are all uh, great points. And as you specifically, as you mentioned, the training centers. Yeah, if you have uh, more than a local organization and you have to fly people in and put them up in hotels all for training, that's an expensive venture. And so, yeah, the training centers makes it convenient uh, pretty well wherever you are in the world, you're going to be able to find a Sandler training center and get the same training no matter where you are in the world. Yeah, and I think, you know, at the end of the day, we're all going to judge based on my return on investment. You know, and there's always a bunch of outside studies that will say Sandler's got the highest return for individual quota attainment for team, you know, for for putting a selling process in place which will bring your customers back to buy more things so, you know, there, we have hundreds of thousands of testimonials from organizations or individuals that say, you have made us X, whatever the money is or whatever the improvement is. But the real nice thing above that, because that's what they expect, and, and we deliver that because, you know, I don't expect a client to stay with us if we don't show results. Everyone judges us based on results, and they should, but the greatest compliment 
is when they say, I have implemented Sandler in my business world. And by the way, Dave, I wish I had it 25 years ago. I would be so, so I would have been retired by now. It's really changed my life. But really, I use it in my personal life as much as I use it in my professional life because those skills are transferable. And that is one of the greatest gifts that you can give a person is to change their life in both professionally and, per- and personally. Exactly. And it's, when you're able to do that, it's quite a thrill. It's amazing to be able to help people change their lives. And so uh, one thing I noticed, I thought it used to be called Sandler Sales or something, but now you're Sandler Training. Uh, is that a change? And what are some, what's coming, what's next for Sandler as you evolve? Uh, as you'd mentioned, from initially a seminar company to now a uh, franchise company, it m- must be a cool uh, uh, franchise to own as well. Uh, so what's next for Sandler? Why, and why, why or did you change it from Sandler sales training to Sandler uh, training? Well, I think most, if you, you know, you can do the market studies and, and most companies will say it's Sandler, right? They know us as Sandler. I yeah. mean, when you're going in, talking about how to change culture, um, how to do process improvement, how to deal with sales managers, how do we deal with entrepreneurs. When we called ourselves Sales Institute, they kind of pigeonholed us, even though that was probably only 30% of what we did. So we just broadened up um, the view from the, the, the buyer's perspective of training. But still, even today, Tom, people refer to us as Sandler. For us, you know, we've moved into the enterprise selling space, which is taking the thousand hours of material that we have and the, you know, the four decades of experience, and we've said we've got the Sandler selling system, and that's what we're known for. We've now moved to this is how you use it in professional services. We have that vertical. We've got this is how you use it in the insurance world. We have that vertical where we've taken all of the tactics and strategies and and six tools and put them into the insurance world, to the high-tech world, and the enterprise world, which is more of a team, team selling situation, team buying situation. We have leadership that we've now added to the core curriculum. So we've really now taken the concepts of Sandler and applied them to different verticals and applied them to different groups, whether it's inside sales and customer service, because if our mantra is that you should have a common language and a sales culture, a DNA. There are more people who touch our customers in today's environment than just the salesperson. So we've, anyone in that company, whether it's, again, customer service people or inside sales, salespeople, national accounts people, sales managers, leaders, anyone that has contact, we now have a program for them. And it's really helped us as we We've now have actually gone backwards, and what I mean by that is, you know, whether uh, most of the people in our space have started off maybe even as as an academic, they wrote a book, and now they're in the training business. Um, Sandler was in the business for almost 25 years before he wrote his first book, and you mentioned in the opening, we've got a lot of bestsellers, but we are now relaunching David's original book uh, with McGraw-Hill. You know, we now have the Enterprise Sales Book coming in March. We have the LinkedIn Book coming in March, the High Tech Book. We are now 
branding Sandler and giving people things to read to reinforce, but also to expose those who don't know Sandler in the traditional way that they're accustomed to doing it, which is to pick it up at a bookstore. But now they realize that we can serve up so much more if, in fact, we catch their attention or they go try to use something out of the books that they read and say, that's interesting, along with all the technology that we have, right, all the apps and you know, we've got hundreds and hundreds of podcasts that people can have access to. I just think that we have, you know, the learners, whether it's millennial and the different learning styles, I don't want to read a book. I, I just want a quick you know, mm-hmm. YouTube video or I just want a quick podcast that I can put on my device. We have served up the content in so many different ways um, because there are so many different styles of learning um, worldwide, and that's even you know opened it up even more because culturally, um, people like to learn differently, and from an age standpoint, what they do in the company, but also where they are in the world. So it's a lot of balls to juggle, Tom. Yeah, definitely, and as you said, to have all those various sources of learning, uh, especially for the younger generation, and then the books. Uh, I love reading books. I read a lot of books. And for sure, if you read a book, you make an impression on the salesperson, hmm, I like their way of thinking. Oh, I'm going to try that. That exposes them to, well, let me look and see on their website, see if they have any videos about that or if they have any MP3s. So the books drive people to want to learn more and can also be very, you know, that can, if a book can help you increase your sales and make more money. Imagine if you got into the training even more than just the book. And so I like that. You still do the in-person training, obviously, with all those training centers. How about if we, uh, maybe for a few minutes, uh, talk about what what it's like to be a franchisee, because that must be a kind of a cool position. And, like, do you take everyone who applies to be a franchisee or... Uh, do you have to really, really, because this is like a professional services more than a product, you must really have to know and know that you know that these people are top-notch salespeople as well as being able to uh, run a business. Yeah, I mean, we franchise primarily um, to keep the highest talent within our organization. We went and looked at you know, the consulting fields, whether it's Accenture or Deloitte or KPMG, and we said, how do they keep that high talent? Well, they make them partners, right? And so once you're in, you're, you're in as a partner. And we did the same thing. We just called it franchise. So we have the top producers as salespeople from previous worlds or leaders, and we said, we want you to build the business, and, and we want you to represent the Sandler brand, but at the same time, stay local, you know, because lots of times our business model doesn't force an individual to live on a plane. You could really, because of the local training center, you could choose to go and and work, you know, in different cities for sure, but lots of the people that we attract are staying in their local communities, working with an entrepreneurial marketplace, and so they want to build something. So that franchise allowed us to keep the top talent and allowed them to become productive members of that business community. And to your point, you know, even though they were top producers, our focus is to make sure that they have all the tools, whether it's the marketing tools, the training tools, the leader's guides, in order to become the greatest ambassadors of passing on that information. Because 
salespeople are it's a tough group, and you know if you think about entrepreneurs, um, they're very very loyal, but they're also very skeptical. You've got to prove value quickly, <laughs> so which is good. I mean, I love that yeah, space. Yeah. yeah, I love that space. So I think that our job is to jumpstart them very very quickly. But to your answer, no, I, I think we've got point three because we've done enough assessments. We assess our people who are looking to become in, to come into the business. We give them some assessments which benchmark them against our current producers and or they are going to get benchmarked with people who shouldn't be there. And so we very quickly can sort out who we should be talking to and who we shouldn't. And then in the ones that we talk to, we have a rigorous um, qualification process that they come through to make sure, A, they understand the business model, they know what they're doing, do they have the background, do they have the experience, do they have the right mindset? Um, in order to do that, because it does take a mindset where you're both selling and you're teaching, mentoring, coaching, because mm. sometimes people like one or the other. I need somebody that does both because I need my people to continually be sales and to go out there where it's happening so they're, they experience it every single day. I don't want somebody that sold 25 years ago. And then you know we, we bring them on board. So we have a very small fraction of people that are in the sales community that could be Sandler people. And then we have a, we have a small fraction of people who come to us to say, we'd like to open up a center that do open up a center. Because if you go again to a, a center anywhere in the world, you should walk away saying, Oh my gosh, I didn't want to spend eight hours there when I first got signed up by my boss, because I, I, I think I know everything or, Hey, I'm so busy but they walk away saying, I'd spend a whole week there. That was incredible. That was awesome. And that's a, that's a talent. And when you show results very, very quickly in the first seminar, the first interaction with the Sandler trainer, that's a talent. So we want to make sure that they're great ambassadors of the brand because our trainers share business amongst each other. You know, even if you were in New Jersey and you have an office where they didn't want to drive from Philadelphia or Baltimore up, you know, they have regional businesses that they share an awful lot of training with so the person doesn't have to travel but gets that consistent approach. So it's important to us, it's important to them that we do it that way. And it's worked out for us, Tom. I, I love it, and I like the stay local approach. Like it's easier to become well-known, to become networked, to become influential in your own community. My goodness, you live there. Your wife lives there. Your kids live there. You live there. And mm, I've spoken at the various places around the world, and it's not always a goal or fun uh, for people to have to travel through airports and connecting flights and snowstorms and delays and traveling problems. And so if someone wants to be teaching and sales training, but they can do it in their own community without having to fly around the world, this is a nice lifestyle. Yeah, and from the client's perspective, you know, how we attract or attack the sales process in, in New York City is going to be different than Texas, and it's going to be different than Oklahoma or Florida. So I think it's nice to get the Sandler approach delivered on how people actually work and interact with each other at a local level. 
Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's easy, your website, to get to. It's Sandler.com. Not any fancy phrase, is it? Just Sandler.com. Sandler.com. And, I, and I'll tell you, as a gift to, to your your listeners and followers, Tom, if they want to go and look up a local training center, just call and say that they've heard this interview and they'd like to come to a, a session that we hold locally as, as my gift to them and your gift to them. Our trainers will honor that and and uh, they'll be able to experience it for themselves. Amazing, and I'm uh, in the Toronto, Canada area, and I know you've got some amazing first-class people here that I am friends with on LinkedIn that I've met a number of times, uh, a few of them, and uh, great world-class quality people in Toronto, and so I imagine it, it's the same wherever Sandler people are because that's the key thing for you is having the right people. So Sandler.com, extremely good uh, knowledge and information and ideas for salespeople, extremely good. Uh, lots of places you can go, but Sandler has the history, they have all the various ways you can learn, all those training centers. So if you're considering it as a business owner or a salesperson, at least check out Sandler.com. You'll be glad you did, and their expertise will become apparent once you visit their site and see all the things they're doing. Thanks so much for your time uh, uh, today, Dave. I appreciate it. I am a fan of Sandler, and I will be paying attention to all the different cool things you guys are learning and evolving into. And again, I highly recommend it if you're in sales, a business owner, uh, need a sales manager, uh, at least check out Sandler.com. Please do yourself a favor. Well, thanks, Tom. And again, it's uh, it was a pleasure to be here. Hopefully we have the opportunity to do it again. Amazing. Have a great day. Thanks, Dave. Take care. Thanks, Tom.